Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to our Higher Branch community. Today's podcast was recorded live backstage at the Upgrade Your Life event. And my special guest was David Goggins, who most of you have heard of, but the ones that haven't, uh, David Goggins is known as the toughest man alive. And look, I'm going to tell you a little bit about his bio, but believe me when I say that there is so much more to this man than the bio. So he's a retired Navy SEAL and is the only member of the US Armed Forces to complete SEAL training, including two hell weeks, uh, the US Army Ranger School and Air Force Tactical Air Controller training. He once held the record for the most pull-ups, completing over 4,017 hours. Uh, he's an accomplished endurance athlete. He's completed over 60 ultra marathons, triathlons, ultra triathlons. He's broken all sorts of course records and regularly placing in the top five. He's all about mental toughness and emotional resilience. Two of the most important qualities that we need to thrive in the 21st century. And um, look, this guy is the author of an amazing book that you should, if you don't like reading, then listen to his audio book. Because I've read his book, but I've also listened to his audio book called Can't Hurt Me. It is the the highest selling book on Amazon, self-published book on Amazon of all time. It's broken all sorts of records. This is a person that was offered $30,000 for his book. And it was at a time where he did not have money. And he said no, because he really believed in, you know, his message and his story. And the other thing is that it's not because after meeting this uh, man, I realized this is a guy who's not about money. He doesn't own a house, doesn't own a car. Um, he doesn't, uh, you know, like his suitcase is so small. Like he travels the world with virtually, you know, a few shorts, a few t-shirts, running shoes. And and this is a guy who embodies all the principles that he shares. There are 10 principles that he shares in his book, Can't Hurt Me. And I won't go through that. Um, today is all about sharing my backstage interview with him. Because if you want to know more about this man, listen to his book. We were completely humbled when he agreed to attend Upgrade Your Life, you know, and he was there the whole time. He interacted. I saw the way he interacted with our community. Look, most people know him as the toughest man alive and everyone was expecting, you know, to meet a guy who's like, uh, you know, um, all about uh, physical strength and aggression. And the one pleasant thing that surprised me and that will become apparent when you listen. He's also one of the most gentlest, calmest man. He has this calming energy around him in his presence. And he has so many quotable quotes, uh, things like the 40% rule, the new norm. And uh, if you listen to his book, some of these things just stick with you, like the accountability mirror, the cookie jar. And these are principles that are universal. And you probably have heard before, but the way he delivers them, it just makes an impact. And there was a few people in the crowd who said to me, look, they've had, you know, hundreds of hours of therapy, but reading this man's book has completely revolutionized their lives straight after reading his book. Now, you can't have an impact on so many people in this world, you know, as a fluke. This guy is the real deal, you know, uh, meeting him in person, uh, interacting with him, reading his books, um, 
there was no, there was nothing fake. There was no BS there. You know, I have a pretty good BS barometer, and this guy was uh, um, absolutely pure in his the way he expresses himself, in the consistency. I, I couldn't fault him. And one of these catch cries uh, or one of these phrases is callousing the mind. You know, through physical toughness. And the, the one thing that became apparent in my backstage interview with him is that although he's calloused his mind, his heart is full of empathy and love for others. And it was clear the way he was hugging the people that um, that shared their story with him on stage that this guy comes from a place of love. And look, this guy is also, he's knocked back sponsorships, millions of dollars from publishers for his second book, millions of dollars from sponsorship from the big brands who want him to, you know, wear their products or wear, his sh- or wear their shoes. Uh, as I said, this guy is the real deal. Look, I don't want to paint him out to be this perfect specimen of a human being because one of the things that was apparent on stage is that's he he does not hide his vulnerability. Um, he he does not hide anything. He's an open book. He said to us openly, "Ask me any question." My expectations were so high, so high, and for him to live to those expectations and exceed them was incredible. So some of the things we talk about, how he rebuilt himself after his father knocked the courage and the strength out of him. I mean, I, I mentioned his bio that, but there was so much to his childhood. You know, he uh, he was beaten and abused by his father. Uh, he became obese. He suffered from depression. Uh, later, he suffered from heart conditions. He had two heart operations. I mean, this guy went through so much adversity and that's why people pay so much attention because out of that adversity came the opportunity for greatness. And this guy embodies everything that he talks about. There is no BS here. And you're going to absolutely love this podcast and you're going to love the highlights that we're going to release on our YouTube channel as well. So if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do and activate your notifications because you don't want to miss some of the highlights from uh, our event. So we talk about also, you know, how he found himself by, you know, choosing the toughest or the hardest job in the world. Uh, You know, we talk about what he thinks of his dad. Uh, We talk about what he thinks about money. And he also reveals a few things that uh, about himself that I never learned before, that how he journals and how he's, uh, he visualizes a lot. And um, he talked about how he discovered himself through that adversity and how he found the best feeling in the world and how he arrived at fearlessness. And his message is that we can all tap into that inner strength. His message isn't, this is what I love about this man, his message isn't like, I'm your hero. No, he says, be your own hero if someone like me can go through all this adversity and come out of it you know uh, as the toughest known as the toughest man alive than any one of you can there was also one moment during this conversation where what he said absolutely floored me i asked him a question after i disclosed to him what was my favorite part of his book and it was at the very end of his book and i asked a question and i was expecting an answer. Uh, as a lawyer, I, I usually ask a question where I know what the answer is going to be. So, But his response was totally, totally was not what I expected and absolutely floored me because there was so much wisdom in that. And it filled me with so much inspiration. I mentioned earlier that 
one of the things that struck me about meeting him personally was the natural empathy he has for others. And you can tell that this empathy is not made up. It's not something that he's fabricated. I shared something on stage and it was my defining moment when I was nine years of age and my parents or my family fled war-torn Lebanon. And I remember talking about this defining moment. It was quite an emotional moment for me on stage. And I was inspired to share it because of how open he is in sharing his uh, adversities and defining moments. And I remember when I was talking about it, I could see him from the corner of my eye sitting uh, in the crowd listening to me. And I made a mental note to ask him uh, because I noticed that, you know, his eyes were glistening, whether he was tearing up or not, but I definitely felt a connection and empathy uh, from him. So this is the toughest man alive showing empathy, right? And showing that connection with me on stage because I felt it and it gave me the courage to keep going and sharing my story. Anyway, when we got to backstage and to record this um, conversation or this podcast, I asked him what he thought of that. And I asked him, a question expecting him to talk about his time in Iraq because he also served in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, one of the most dangerous jobs as a bodyguard to the prime minister, right? And you'd have to be nuts to take on that job, right? Because the prime minister of Iraq at the time was a major target. And so I asked him this question, expecting him to relay if he was known as the toughest man alive. So the, the response would have been, yes, this is, you know, your story, Sam, reminded me of my time in Iraq, but no, he did not go there. He showed true empathy because he said to me, it remind, it reminded him of when he was nine years of age. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, so he'll talk about it in the uh, podcast. Anyway, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mr. David Goggins. Thanks, David. Uh, the reason why I wanted to have a quick chat with you is because you know, for the, um, I disclosed something for the first time on stage and it was quite emotional. Right. And it was, um, it was at a time when we uh, left Beirut. Now, I know you, uh, you worked in Iraq, didn't you, as right. a bodyguard? Did that, did my story bring back any memories of, did you come across people like us who went through war and? Well, 100%, but, yeah. but your story was so powerful. And what really caught me was uh, even more than Iraq. Because I share my personal story when I was a young kid. Yes. But what caught me the most out of you is I was once that young kid, like yourself, who was in the back of the car. And when you talked about, when you turned around out of curiosity. Yes. And you saw that soldier on the ground. And you know if that soldier was the guy that came to help your family. That touched me because when I was around your age, my mom's fiance got murdered. And I was around your age. Right. Yeah. And I was sitting in a room by myself and everybody was gone supporting my mom. And they put me in this house uh, by myself in this back room, kind of a spooky house for a kid. And I'd ever experienced this guy being murdered. Yes. And I watched on TV. This TV only had three channels. And the one channel it had was a news station. And the news station, every 30 minutes, would play my mom's fiance being wheeled out in the gurney uh, from being murdered. Yes. So your story, more than anything, more than Iraq, more than anything, it brought me back to my childhood when that mental image of watching him being gurneyed out of the garage where he got murdered, and I'm in this room by myself, 
even though you were in a car with people, you were trapped in your own mind. That image is yours and yours alone. Yes, it's not your yes. family's. The image is yours. And as a young kid, when you're experiencing all that trauma <clears throat> and all that heartache, we're not able to understand this. Adults right, aren't yeah. able to understand it, let alone a child. But we grow up so fast and we grow up with these memories that haunt us forever. No matter where you become, no matter how successful you become, that childhood that, that you lived, that's a big part of your life. So that's what, that's what your story did to me is it brought me back to that horrible you know, place when I was a kid and I saw all these horrible images. So it was, it was quite emotional and that's why uh, I just want you to know that um, it was reading your book and reading and listening to how honest you, you share and you open yourself up that gave me the courage to actually share that story. And because it was the first time I shared it publicly, I didn't know, I didn't know how it was going to go emotionally. Right. And that's why I got a little bit teary there. Uh, but then, you know, I sort of looked at you at the corner of my eye and it's, uh, I just want you to know that it just gave me strength in that moment. Oh, I appreciate yeah, that. Thank you. Really good. I was, I was this, this close to breaking down in tears because that emotion, we hold onto that in our bodies. Yes. And uh, yeah, so thank you very much. No, I appreciate you. Now, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you as well is, because uh, I know a lot of people are currently impacted by the bushfires. Right. And, uh, you know, over the last few days, uh, you know, Jennifer reached out to Katrina and said, can we organize something? And we have, and we've been speaking to some people and uh, just their stories uh, was like, I don't want money. People don't understand. Stop sending us money. You know, right. we want affection. We want empathy. Uh, we don't want sympathy. We want, you know, be, to be held. We want, so I, I know you, you know, you have a limited time here in Australia, but what would you say to those people if you did stand metaphorically in front of all of them? What, what would you say to them? You know what? Um, if, you've lost their, if they've lost their home, if, they, if they've lost a loved one, some people right. have lost. I truly understand what they're going through because first of all, for four months out of the year, I am a wildland firefighter back in the States. But one thing I can say that I understand completely is they don't need the money right now. They have plenty of money, I believe. But when you're out here busting your ass... Yes. And you're digging fire line and you're watching the carnage of, was it over a billion animals are, are, yeah. have, have died? Yeah. And some people have lost their lives and you're out there just busting your butt. What you want is true, honest gratitude. You want true, true gratitude. Yes. Not like, oh, thank you. And then they go on their way. I'll never forget one time when I got out of the military, I was getting ready to retire. I was a year out and I was looking at a, at a, uh, at a, at a, at a just a, place to live in, you know, an apartment. And this lady was showing me around and I walk in with my uniform on. I never forget as long as I live. And she's talking to me about this place and that place. And, oh, look at this home over here. We're walking around. And as we're getting ready to leave, as she shows me all these places, she goes, oh, and thank you for your service. I'm supposed to say that, right? And yeah. it was the follow on. Yes. So this is what a lot of people, so we know as servants, uh, first responders, wildland firefighters, firefighters, police, military, um, EMTs, paramedics. A lot of these first responder type people, we can sense yes. when it's you just saying, am I supposed to just say that? A lot of people say that without saying it. They say thank you, but we can tell you're saying thank you because it's the right thing to it's do. It's not from the heart. Right, it's not from yeah. the heart. Yeah. So that's what we, we, you know, that is what I would give them from my heart yes. is I would talk to every single one of them that was in front of me and they would feel that I understood what it was like to be on the line. Yes. And on the line is it could be in battle. 
It could be digging fire line. It could be the first person that shows up at a, at a burning house or the first person that shows up to a car accident with someone in there that needs to get out, that needs first aid attention really quick. I know what it is to be on the line. So I would give them what exactly they need because I know what I need, which is true gratitude and a true thank you for what you're doing. That's beautiful uh, because we also have defense personnel helping out with the firefighters. Right. So the the, uh, the firefighting you do, that's in Montana, isn't it? Fire, right. fire jumping, I think you call it. Yes, yeah, so this smoke is my jumping. first year. Yeah. This is my first year. I'll be a rookie smoke jumper. I'll be out in Montana. So that's a whole new thing where you actually jump from a plane and you hit the ground and you start fighting the fire. You go to places that are sight unseen. So that's pretty intense. It's, wow. it's probably the most intense job to me yes. in the world. In the world. So you're going to jump out of an airplane into the mountains. Yes. You know, and in the military, when we jump out of airplanes, we jump out of airplanes that the, the drop zone is nice and cleared most of the time. You have a nice wind sock so you can see which way the wind is blowing. Yes. Um, when you're jumping out here, you know, you got to look at the smoke, see what direction the smoke's going in because you want to land with the wind at your face. So you have a slower landing. Right. That your back is going to push the parachute fast and cause probably an injury. So all these things, you know, you're out there in the wilderness yes. and then you're surviving with about anywhere from four to eight people and there's no one out there to get you. You are truly out there. You jump out of the plane, you're by yourself fighting this fire. Wow. That's pretty intense. So most of these people out here, while their job is extremely dangerous, yes. we do it a lot just alone. There's like, there's, there's no support. We, we yeah. get, we got call in support, stuff like that. So it, it makes the job a little bit, uh, a little bit, you know, hairy. Tricky, yeah. yeah. Sounds sounds pretty dangerous. <laughs> well, all the jobs are hairy out there. This this yeah. has a little bit kick, you know, a little bit yeah. more of a kick to it. Yeah. So it's not just back burning. It's actually yeah. You're actually yeah. there, and most of it's like lightning strikes. Yes. So lightning strikes cause a lot of these fires. So we're the ones that are hitting like an initial attack. Yes. So the fires are small, and we're trying to get it before it becomes. Something like, you know, you guys are dealing with out here in Australia. Yeah. There was one thing you shared in your book mm -hmm. that just struck me and it, it floored me. I, I know it's a simple principle, but you said it was right towards the end. Right. It was when you said about meeting your maker, you know, right. meeting God. And right. he looks at you and shows you this is the life that you right. were meant to live and you didn't even try. Right. That, that was beautiful. So basically, it's only in the audio book. Yeah. I don't write it in the hardcover. Um, but basically, um, let's say you're God, okay? And this is so, I have a crazy imagination. Right. The only way I was able to get out of my hell was to create something that was not real in my head. But I had to make that become truthful. Yes. Do hard work. Yep. But one thing I did was I had... Like, you know, your, your, your nice big thing of eights, the charity, the love, the yes. work. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have it. And I was sitting up there listening to you speak, and I'll share with people tomorrow when I do speak. I look back on the beginning of my life, and the beginning of my life was really at 24. And I had to make all these hard decisions, and I didn't have anything. Yeah. I, had, I had nothing. I had, I had no fellowship. I had, I, had, I had no family. Nothing. It was me by myself. But I've always had God. Yes. And in my mind, I said, okay, what would be my biggest fear in life? So I created what heaven is. You know, I have no idea. So I created in my mind while sitting down. And what it was, was there's a bunch of people in line who have died. And we're all sitting there waiting to have our judgment with God. Meet yes. God. And I imagined it with two chairs, like a big interview. And like I said, you're God right now. 
and you're interviewing this lady named Jane Doe and I'm in line. Yes. And in line, so right now I'm 185 pounds. I've uh, accomplished a lot in my life, but I imagine myself not being the guy I am today, being the guy that I was at 24, which was a 300 pound man that worked for a company that made a thousand dollars a month, limited education. I was going nowhere, yeah. fat, out of shape. I imagine dying as that guy. So now you interview Jane Doe and I come up there and I'm now this 300 pound guy. I'm 77 years old. I make $2,000 you know, $2, a month now, just slowly inched up and I die, but I'm in heaven. And you're interviewing me. You said, David, you know, you, you did okay. And um, I sit down and there's a whiteboard behind you. And the whiteboard is basically what you accomplished in life and what you did or what you were supposed to do. Because yes. God knows all. Yep. So this is what you're supposed to do. So the whiteboard is Jane Doe goes down and now you call me up and I sit down and you shake my hand and we're sitting there and my name comes up on this whiteboard and it has David Goggins. I'm looking at the whiteboard and the whiteboard has all these amazing things on it. And it says Navy SEAL and it says Army Ranger and New York Times bestseller and you changed millions of people's lives and blah, 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 world record holder. And I look at you and I say, God... The name is correct, but it must be a different David Goggins because I was just an, I was an equal yeah. lab guy. You know, I sprayed yeah. cockroaches and I made a thousand dollars a month. And you say, no, I'm God. And I know all when I put you, you know, in the womb, this is what you had in you to become. <sighs> wow. This is what yeah. you had in you. But the thing about yeah. it all is this. I knew what you had in you, but you have a choice to make. Those choices are yours and yours alone to make. And I sat back with that image in my mind. I don't know if it's true. Probably isn't. It's true to me that whenever I die, I want to make sure that wherever I'm going on that whiteboard, I see scribble at the very bottom, almost like God is rushing. And when I get to heaven, I'm like, God, this looks all professional up yeah. here. In the bottom, I see scribble. I want God to look at me and say, I'm all knowing, but not even I knew what you were capable of doing. Oh, that's, you just floored me. That so is, I've never heard you say that. That's beautiful. So that really. is, uh, so my mind, yeah. what gives me strength and power is I'm able to imagine. Yep. I'm imagining the possibility of something. I create a picture and that picture gives me strength for the possibility that this might happen. Not like I you know, described here, Yes. but I know there'll be a day in my life where something judges me. And I want to make sure that I've done what I'm supposed to do. That's beautiful. Now, one other thing that uh, I thought of when you were talking about, because you're very visual, mm -hmm. um, very. there's one thing in your book that also hit me really hard was that you said that my father created David Goggins, but I created Goggins. Right. And, you know, I, I have assumptions in my mind what that means. Right. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing about your book and hearing you because it, it means what it means to me. But I, I'd love to know what really it means to you. So David Goggins is a very frightened, um, not real smart, um, tons of learned disabilities, tons of insecurities, jealousies. Um, the foundation of David Goggins is very cracked and broken because as you know very well, when you're a child that foundation is being built. Yeah. And it's the only time it gets built. And, but we have the opportunity once again, through visualization, you have to build what you want. You have to paint the Mona Lisa. We're all artists. So I became an artist in my mind. I was like, you know what? I don't like this guy. And it's, yeah. and it's the guy that I am. 
while a lot of people helped create David Goggins, hmm. I didn't like him. So I had to recreate this man that I wanted to be. Yep. Not yeah. who the world made. Yes, yes. Not who being called, you know, I got called tons of names growing up and having a broken foundation from my father, my mother, um, from my childhood. And then I moved to a small place where I was the only black person. And that cracked me some more. I kept on getting cracked and cracked and cracked and cracked. I was like, you know what, man, this guy is not working for me. David Goggins, because when you get cracked, you start to develop a person that you want to be accepted. Yes. I wanted people to like me. And when you want, to, you want people to like you, you're not who you are. Because you want to help, yeah. you want everybody to like you. So you become a, a million different people. And in those million different people, there's a bunch of lies. Because it's not you. I'm like, well, who am I? Who do I want to be? And I want to be a tough guy. I want to be a guy that can look somebody in the eye, tell the truth. Yeah. I want a guy that has courage and, and accountability. And all these things that come with uh, sometimes some bad looks. Sometimes not acceptance. Yeah. Sometimes that whole, you know, everything is, uh, you know, you want to be accepted and all these other things. And I'm like, this is going to come with all that. So what I did was I had to build a foundation. I had to totally tear down David Goggins. While David Goggins will always exist, I had to rebuild a foundation. That foundation was built on the core principles of what I wanted in life. Yes. Not what other people helped create. So what I did was I sat back and said, okay, what do I want to be? I wanted to be a man that went to sleep every night proud of who he was. Not proud of money, not proud yeah. of women or fame or, oh, can you sign this or sign? No, I wanted to be proud of me. Was that the polar opposite of what your dad It was a was? whole, it was a complete polar opposite Yeah. Of, of not just my dad, but of who I was. There's one thing you said about your dad, uh, which also struck me deep. You said that, and I remember tearing up when I read that. You said that, uh, I read it or said it, you said my father knocked the strength and the courage out of me. Yes. That I, is I believe devastating I was, for a boy that young. It was tough. Yeah. Because I believe I was born a, a, a very powerful kid. Yeah. I do believe that. I had a lot of courage growing up. But the more I fought for my mom, because my mom really got beat, and we all got beat really badly. But the more I fought for her courage, the harder I got beat. And it was mostly, it was mentally and physically. Yes. But when you're hearing words at such a young age, they become truth. Yeah. They yeah. become truth. They, yeah. they become your dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And if you grow up with a racist father or a father that's very evil, that becomes a lot of times who you become. Yep. And um, yeah, so I had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of digging, but I did it on my own. And that's where my true passion comes out. While God is there, I don't believe God's going to come down and truly help me. This is, to me, this is a trial ground. Yes. This is a trial ground and you have to go through suffering. You have to go through sacrifice. It's not like, oh, I got to pray to God and God's going to come down here and take everything away from me. Yes. This is a journey of sacrifice. And that's where some people get lost with me and say, oh my God, do you love yourself? Don't get it twisted. Love came through the sacrifice and what I was willing yeah, to I get put that, myself man. through. I get that. Yeah, totally. To see what I'm about. Yeah, they, they're not getting it. They're not no, getting the point. Yeah. It's not about, oh my God, well, you <laughs> suffer so dearly and yeah. you put yourself through all these pain and agony. Please don't get yeah. it twisted. That's why Australians love you, man. They, they really do. They love your raw honesty. Uh, it's so beautiful. Why do, you, why do you think people, I mean, uh, last night, this morning, I like to get in with the crowd and I asked a question, you know, what brought you here to upgrade your life? Goggins, Goggins, right. Goggins. And uh, I said, what do you love about him? And they choke up some of them. What, why do you think uh, 
people are just so drawn to you and what if, why do you think they get so much strength out of you? I mean, some people have said to me, I've had years of therapy. Right. Years, thousands of dollars and years of therapy. Reading this man's book, hearing him speak, a lot of them actually love the audio book. Right. Because of that segues uh, when you come in and you talk. And it's just completely revolutionized their life. What, why do you think that's so? What's, what's what going on there? <laughs> Fear. Fear. I am uh, vulnerable as hell. People look at me as, oh my gosh, guy has run 260 miles at one time and done 4,000 pull-ups and went through SEAL training three times and ranger school and he's done all these amazing things. Yeah. Why I want to, I would love to just live there and say, yes, this is David Goggins. I'm this, I'm this great hero. I'm this great legend. I'm this great warrior. I'm a savage. I'm a beast. Yeah. I'd be lying to you. And so... When these people see that this guy is human and he is way human and he has so much fear, yeah. I almost give per people permission, but I had to have the Navy SEAL. I had to have the 4,000 pull-ups. I had to have this, this great resume to give people permission that you can be a coward. Yeah. You can be afraid. You can have a jacked up past and background don't be afraid to show it. Don't be afraid to own it. Don't, don't be afraid. Because one thing I learned in life was I was always afraid to let people know who I really was. The real me. Yes. The afraid me. And then I started looking around the world and really being open-minded and paying attention to all these successful people. We're all messed up. Some people just hide it better than others. Yeah. And do you still go to war with yourself every day? Does every it get day. better? Does it get easier, rather? It becomes more of a habit. Right. More of a routine. But every day that David Goggins, the guy that I thought I buried years ago, yeah. he comes scratching. Yeah. yeah. He comes scratching the door. He wants yeah. to be fed. Like, look, man, this is who we really are. And that guy every day has to get put to bed. So every day I wake up with David Goggins and I go to bed with Goggins. Yeah. So every day, it's not like you ever win. You, you win the day, you win the afternoon. But when you wake up in the morning time, you still got to fight. Yep. You got to yep. fight. The, the mind is very powerful and it will always take you back to where it wants to go. It wants to go to those things you never had. Yes. And a lot of times, if you have a bad childhood and your dad never loved you, your mom never loved you, kids bullied you, you want that. Even though you may have millions of dollars and tons of fans and all that, you're constantly fighting. A lot of us, it stems from your childhood, from the foundation of where we came Absolutely. Yeah. Almost everything stems from that place. And so your mind will go, even if you're 80 years old, your mind will go back to where you're five or six or seven from your first memories of pain and suffering and not being accepted. Yeah. And for some reason it can still affect you. And that's what you're constantly having to reinforce yourself that, Hey, it's okay. This is what we've done. I can't change that. Yes. That is done. That is done. So there's, there's a process to how I live. Is a process yeah. of how I live. So that's that principle of acceptance, isn't right. it? That's right. Uh, is that a really important element for you? It's to huge. accept your past so you can move on to your future? It's huge. I, I think about my past every day. Every day, but in a, in a very good way. Does that fuels you, doesn't it, it? It fuels me, but then again, it reminds me of um, gratitude. Okay. It yep. reminds me of like when I, yeah. like people go, why are you a firefighter now, it. man? You yep. have a good life. Mm. I'm always going to be that kid. Yeah. that lived in a $7 a month place 
that had government cheese, that had food stamps, yeah. that mom worked three jobs. I like being that guy. I know that I'm not that guy, but it makes me look at everybody in this world as like, okay, you know, I never get above the crowd. Yes. Yep. I'm in it. Yes. I'm in it, which is why people can understand me because I never, oh, I made a little bit of money. I got a little bit of fame. So you go away from that $7 a month place where you once lived. Yes. Once you go away from that $7 a month place, you know, where you once lived, you can help no one. Yeah. You lose yourself. You, you lose yourself yeah. and you lose the whole audience. Then you start mm. living with people who are uh, above everybody. Yeah. The people who I want to help are down here in the crowd in which I came from, in which I still live. Yeah. I love that about you, man, because- you know, I've never seen you promote anything, nope. sponsor anything. You don't take money. You haven't, you don't wear Nike on your nope. <laughs> t-shirt. You don't wear Adidas on your feet. Nothing. And people really respect that. And I think there are a lot of people out there that sit back and say, when's this guy going to show, you know, some weakness or where are the cracks going to come from? Nope. Not, nothing. Everyone that I speak to say, respect. They're respect. not going to come. They're Love that. Come. Have you ever thought like, what if you did have a better upbringing, would right. you still be where you are now? Like what if you had the, the dream childhood, beautiful parents, functional family, would you have signed up for the SEALs or would you, or you, you I guess not, none of us can answer the, that question. We we can't, get, it's hypothetical, I, right? It's hypothetical, but I can answer, I, I can honestly answer no. No, because I was in a, I had to rebuild myself. Yes. So for me to find courage, I chose the hardest job in the world. So that's what I did is I went through this, this journal. I journaled my whole life when, okay. I, when I realized I was really messed up. Yes. I had to start writing things down so I can go back and say, okay, where did I mess up? It wasn't for like to be a strong guy or to be a better runner or be a better student. It was to go back into, I was a student of myself. Yes. Yep. And I was like, okay, man, why am I so messed up? I write down my day. Oh, okay, this probably would get to my head. Yes. I, I used to bury things. So we, but, but when you write it down, you can't bury it. Yes. I'm all about not burying anything. I'm all about solving, solving, fixing. Don't bury because it's, it's, it's going to come back up sometime. Yeah. And you can't lie to yourself on your no. journal, can you? You, you can't. can't. You can never write. You can tell yourself self-talk that it's right. lies, but the moment you commit it to paper, right. it is like the analogy of the accountability mirror. Exactly. That's exactly back what it at is. You. So yeah. when I journaled, I went through and I was like, okay, oh my God, I'm scared of the water. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of God. Oh, I'm afraid of everything. Yeah. I was like, okay, so how am I going to fix this? So I came up with this stupid idea of let's just start to conquer the hardest obstacles known to man. Things yeah. that you never want to do. So I disagree with people when they talk about passion and your purpose. Yes. Everything I ever did in my life, it was off of pure just trying to improve myself. Yeah. It was like a lot of people say, I want to sign up for this race, yes. but they know it's only like two days. So they can kind of tough it out, but they're going to grow so much in that two days. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I know we'll go yeah. back home to a nice house. Yes. I chose jobs that I'm going to suffer for 21 years. Yes. People have no idea what comes out the other end of that. By the way, I've done that. I've been that weak person where right. I just signed up for the marathon. Right. Oh, no. I've, <laughs> I've done it several times. Yeah. But I did something that it wasn't going to end in two days. Yeah. And when you force yourself into something that you don't want to do, day in and day out. Yeah. I wasn't looking for purpose. I was looking for character. Yes. I was looking for pride. I was looking, and I knew the only way you could do it was be so outside your comfort zone 
that what happens is when you wake up every morning, people are like, How? I don't understand your mentality. You don't have to. You don't have to. I knew for me to find, because I had nothing. Yeah. I was stripped of everything as a young kid, mentally. So in to build this platform, I had to design this place that I could feel good about myself. So you effectively, you're creating an identity, not chasing outcomes, exactly. which is what most of us do. We are chasing outcomes yes. instead of asking ourselves, who do we want to be in all our areas of life? Right. What's funny is that you know when I started getting a little bit of money, um, and it was like my first job, I bought myself a new pair of jeans. Yes. The, the new designer jeans cost like 150 bucks. <laughs> and I put yeah. them on. I was like, I don't even like these jeans. Yeah. So that was my first thing about, you know what, man? You know, while I, when I didn't have things, yes. I wanted things. Yes. Once I got a few things, I realized, my God, this hasn't helped me at all. Yes. My mind is still broken. And that's when I didn't care about money, didn't care about fame. I only cared about how I felt internally. Yes. So all I cared about was how do I feel about David Goggins, which has given me the courage to be so vulnerable. Yes. That's the only thing that gave me courage was I had to fight all these different demons. That's beautiful. You know, I'm introducing you on stage mm -hmm. tomorrow and I'm going to do a little bit of an interview, but one thing, one of your, my favorite posts you have on Instagram was from 2016. It was about your creator and I, I'll, I'll save that uh, for tomorrow, but have you changed over the last three, three years, three and four years? Cause I feel like you have, Right. there's a change there. It's uh, you know, that first, my first, uh, moment to experience you was on Tom Bilyeu's uh, right. impact theory. And you did this one thing and you probably don't even remember it, but that's when the like went to love right. and to respect. I started loving and respecting you as a human being. You took off your shoes. Yep. Do you remember that? I remember that. Yeah. To and show him my uh, pressure ulcer on my foot. Yeah. But from... there was such, you exposed your vulnerability and you're so humble. And I just said, I love this person. Right. You know, yeah, I no longer, I honestly, a lot of people, when I was growing up, I said, I don't, I don't give an F what anybody thinks about me. Yeah. You know, and um, I did. I did. I said it just to make myself feel good, powerful. Yeah. It's a lie. Now, it really feels good because, like I said, I was in search of David Goggins. Yes. I was in search of the real David Goggins. So I created Goggins and all these other things. And along the way, I found myself, my true self. Yes, so now you say it and mean it. Now I say it and mean yeah, it. Yeah. So when you, when you walk in a, you know, in a room of five, 6,000, 300, whatever it may be, you all can walk out of here hating me, yes. loving me, whatever. But I finally found who I was, whether it's through loving me or I respect me. Does that feel good? It's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. It's the only feeling I ever, I, I, I didn't know I wanted it. Yes. But once I found it, I'm like, got it. Beautiful. This is why I self-published my book. I've turned down $6 million contracts for my second book. Yes. I just don't care. I just truly don't care. And for a guy that cared about everything and everybody his whole life, and don't get it wrong, I care about the ones that are that need to be cared for. Yeah, the ones that are listening and yes. reading. The other ones yeah. that don't care, you're fine. But what I mean I don't care is I no longer care what you think about David Goggins. Is that the ultimate state of fearlessness? It's is that the what? ultimate state. And that's what people don't get. It's not mm. about, oh my God, I'm going to jump out of this airplane. Yeah. I'm going to conquer these. No, 
the ultimate fearlessness is when you look in the mirror and you have a million people in a room that say, I hate this guy. And they call you every name under the sun. Yeah. And you walk out and say, thanks for having me come. Appreciate it. Yeah. And you walk out, you get in your car and you go home and you turn the TV on like nothing ever happened. Because that's, that's mental toughness. It's not, people mistake toughness and fearlessness as physical aggression. Right. And it's not that. Is no, it? at all. Yeah. At all. And I think ultimately that's why people are connecting with you because you have this vulnerability and a sensitivity and you're honest and real. And uh, from that comes your strength. Right. And that's the ultimate uh, show of fearlessness. It's here and it's here. That's it. Yeah. That's absolutely. it. Absolutely. And the connection with that is upstairs with whatever you believe in. So yeah. once all that connects, all the whole world kind of falls apart. It becomes like a, it's crap. Yes. It's all crap. It's all like, it's all material. It's all material. You know, once everything connects to a higher power, whatever you believe in, you just, uh, and I'm not much about preaching to people about God. That's not what I do. Yes. But there has to be something that you truly, truly, truly believe in. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. Yes. Totally. Well, you heard me on this. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we don't need to be apologetic about it, really. You know, in this world where you have to be politically correct about everything. It's, uh, it's, yeah. It's nice. But, uh, mate, I want to thank you. And I, uh, can I give you a hug? As oh, well? yeah. I'm just all so good. grateful. So Appreciate grateful. You. Thank yeah. you. Cheers, mate. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. And thanks for coming to Australia. Oh, it's great. Thank you. Thanks, David. Cheers.